Yeah. All right, we're going to do two radical things right from the very beginning. First thing, we're going to break all church rules. Basic rule in the church is the best seats in the house are in the back. We're going to break that rule tonight because this is a visual presentation. And I want as many of you that can get up front here so you can see. So stand up. That's the first move. We're having a movement here. Come on. And then come on up closer to the front. Uh, ah, you guys are wonderful. Good deal. Good deal. Come on. You know, and I had, uh, I had, I have to tell you, I had two servings of pizza tonight. And my wife, my very wise wife, who came to Christ three weeks before I did, so she's always smarter than I am in a lot of stuff. I married way up. I really did. Anyway, she always warns me, Dave, you know, because I do morning services a lot. You know, Dave, don't eat a big breakfast because you, you burp a lot, you know, because you're bent over and the microphone's right there. It's just not good. So I, I just had a little bit of pizza and I thought, geez, I'm hungry. I'm going to go back for some more. I'm thinking, ah, I'm going to belch. I'm going to burp. I'm gonna... Oh, but I'm at a men's conference. It's okay. <laughs> so you guys can burp too. It's all right. We're good. Um, the last radical thing I want us to do tonight that I believe will set a tone. I had no idea of this until like a minute and a half ago, but I think this is going to set a tone for the weekend. For those of you who physically can, I want us to get down on our knees and I want us to pray that God will move among us tonight, tomorrow night, Saturday morning, and then for the balance of our lives as men. If you can't get down on your knees, I understand that. Just pray where you're at. But you pray individually, all of us together, starting now. So, God, I just call out to you right now. Jim, would you kill me at the mic for the moment? Lord, I just ask, come, come, Holy Spirit. Oh, God, oh, God lead us into the adventure of the calling of our lives, oh, God.
Let your will be done. And let your kingdom come here, Father, with your sons. Even as it is for us in heaven, let it be so for us here. Amen. Thank you, man. So welcome to the sons of the Father. Tonight we're going to uh, begin, first of all, I want to begin with a word. I, uh, I had lunch uh, locally here. I was advised to go to the Firehouse Tavern, and I had a great lunch there, and God spoke to me there. So uh, you need to understand that I'm a kind of guy that God can speak to me in taverns, all right? No problem. And what he showed to me, I don't know how many of you, we'll work through that wrinkle right there. I don't know how many of you, first of all, this is another thing I want to do. Jim is back there at the sound booth, and crinkle, crinkle, what is that about? Is that me? Back there, okay. Um, I always like to give congratulations, applause to the guys that never get noticed unless something goes wrong. And that's not just pastors, that's the sound guys. So could we just give the sound guy, the audio guy, everybody, thank you, appreciate you. Anyway, so I'm sitting there at the, at the tavern, and I'm kind of looking around, and I, all of a sudden my mind's eye goes back to Lord of the Rings, and there's that scene. How many of you guys saw Lord of the Rings? Fair number of you. Significant number. Okay. There's a scene in the first edition, first, first series of the three, in which Frodo and the, and the guys, are they run for, into a, a safe place, hopefully. It's a fortress village. And there's a tavern, and they're all hiding in there, and they're eating and drinking and kind of looking around. And they see this one guy way over, kind of hidden back in the shadows, and he's kind of watching them. And they find out that his name is Ranger. And, but he's kind of like, is he scary or is he okay? I mean, is, is he good? Is he bad? Because he keeps looking at us. And the Lord said to me this afternoon, he said, there are hidden men in this group who are far more than who they think and presently are. They are like Granger who no one really knows. You look a bit dangerous. You look a bit different. But truly, you are a leader and a king. And then there are others of you that are like Frodo, and you're just happy-go-lucky, and life's fine. But you hold something so valuable that God is going to take you and take you all the way to the end of the course with it. And you will see God do amazing things in your life. So some of you right now, you are hidden men. And you've not yet discovered or been discovered for what God has for you. My prayer is that perhaps even during this conference, God may speak to you in that. May stir in you and refresh in you. All right, so tonight what I want to do is talk about being sons of the Father, and I want to talk about the Father. You know, in the Trinity, it gets a little confusing. You ever get confused? It's like, geez, am I supposed to pray to the Holy Spirit, pray to the Father, pray to Jesus? What do I pray to? And, you know, and that's just one little tip of the iceberg of who's the Father, who's the Son, who's the Holy Spirit. They're all together as one, and yet they all have individual characteristics and 
relationship with us and with creation and the future? How does this all sort out? This conference is about us and the Father. And so a lot of talk will be about the Father initially, and then we're going to shift more about us and the Father, and then eventually we'll be looking at us as sons, brothers, and fathers. That will be Saturday's edition. So we kind of progress through that. Uh, tonight I want to talk about being open or closed to the Father. And, and what, are the, what are the characteristics of the Father that might help us to begin to get a clue? I think I'm rubbing something. Is that true? Oh, grounding. Okay. Well, just everybody get grounded, okay? You know? Uh, so well, before I get my hands totally immersed in mud, even though this is the gospel according to Clay, um, based on the cover of the book, uh, let's look at about five defining verses that I find are really helpful regarding the Father. John 3.16, which most of us know by heart, but let's go there. Uh, Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, who's curious about who he is, who Jesus is. And Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What I want to look at in this is, is the nature of God in this. For God, and we are identifying him as Father because Jesus says gave his one and only Son. He so loved the world before he gave his Son. This, God is a generous, giving Father. He loves us so much, or myself so much, long before I ever chose to believe and receive the gift of Jesus Christ. He loved me. Because he loved before the Son even came to the world. He loved those who were wandering around without any concept. The Jews, the non-Jews. He is still the same Father today. He loves everyone on the planet. Some of you may walk out right now because God loves the Muslims. God has a heart to bring them to Christ. God has a heart to bring every unbelieving person on the planet to a faith in Jesus Christ that he might have a relationship with his kids. That's the love of God. So our Father is an outrageously generous God, an outrageously Loving God, I mean, those of you who have kids, I have a daughter, she's my only begotten daughter, I have an adopted daughter who I love equally, but my only begotten daughter is going to Uganda this summer. She goes all over the world. She will soon be in the medical profession, and her heart is for third world countries. She's a woman. She's a beautiful woman. I'm a dad. I'm realistic in this. I go last fall, she goes, hey, Dad, I'm going to Uganda. This is the middle of the Ebola crisis. You know, I'm human. Oh, my gosh, my daughter is going to Africa. And, and so I take that to God, and he just sort of goes, in my quiet time and not so quiet, he goes, oh, Dave, I gave my only begotten son for you. <laughs> yeah, okay, God. And then there's Abraham, Dave. Okay, I get the message. So my daughter's going, of course, to Uganda or wherever God. We covenanted, by the way. And I think this is a good thing. Those of you who are dads and you have kids, 
at the point where they're getting old enough to be heading out mission trips, whatever, and they're believers at that point. It's a good thing to covenant. I, I, she and I have covenanted with each other that if I ever go down in the, in the process of the ministry of the kingdom of God, whether it's an auto accident or I get martyred or whatever it is, that she will not raise her fist to God. And I've told her, honey, if you ever get raped, if you ever get killed, if you ever get destroyed out there in the mission field, in the danger zones of the world, I will not covenant with you. I will not raise my fist to God. Because our God is that generous that he wants those people to know him. And we as believers in Jesus Christ, it is time for us to lay down the guns, to lay down the isolation myth, to lay down the fact that the government's going to change the world. For the kingdom of God and the power of the love of God is that which will never fail and will transform the planet. I'm talking boldly tonight because we're men. We're men of God. And to me, love never fails. The love that you give away to some may roll off that person's back, but it is alive and it keeps on going to the next. It never fails. It is the most powerful weapon that you and I possess in the hands of Jesus Christ. Enough preaching. Okay, on. Second one, John 6. I'm in John a lot tonight. I'm, I'm infatuated with John's writings. Later on in another session, I'll tell you why. Uh, John 6, let me get there, verse uh, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus is acknowledging that one of the characteristics of the Father is he knows each one of us so intimately that he knows how to pull us in. And I was pulled in in the middle of a, and this will come out at a later time, but I was pulled in in the middle of a pipe ceremony. And I know I come from Colorado, and you can let your imagination go. But I was way into Native American beliefs as a young man. I'm one-eighth Native I grew up on reservations uh, every summer from the time I was 13 until the time I was 22 and devoted much of my life amongst the Native people, and I love them. Uh, their faith is no longer my faith. I am a Christian now. But in the middle of praying on the mountaintop, praying in the language of the Lakota, um, with my pipe and tobacco and sage and sweetgrass, God said, I want you to go to my church. I believe it was audibly. It was the loudest voice I've ever heard. I said, no, I hate it there. He said, I want you to go to my church a second time. Then I knew it was the Christian God, and I knew that my life was going to change. God will draw us because he knew, where am I going to reach Dave? I'm going to reach him right there on the top of the wilderness mountain, praying in the manner which he believes is important. I don't care that it's not of my tradition. I will reach into there. I will reach into the bar. I will reach into the porn center. I will reach into the darkest corners of the earth to get you, to reach you. So the, Jesus said, no one will come to me except that my Father draws him. Those of you who are parents of kids who are not yet believers, pray that the Father will begin to draw them to Christ because he's faithful for that. That's why he sent his son. 
Third characteristic about the Father, John chapter 14. Let's go there quickly. Uh, verse 8, this is at the Last Supper. Philip said, one of the disciples, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. I think everybody of us, were attracted naturally to Jesus, even before we came to Christ. Most of us would have considered, we didn't believe him as the Son of God, we would have believed him, I know I did, as one of the most amazing men that ever walked the planet. You know, you can walk out into unbelieving crowds like in Boulder, Colorado, and interview, they'll all go, ah, church, no. What do you think about Jesus? I think Jesus is cool. So amongst us, if you're concerned, if you have a difficulty with what's the Father God like, then consider how is Jesus portrayed in the Gospels? That's the heart of the Father. He has a heart for the poor. He has the heart for the leper. He has the heart for the adulteress. He has the heart for even the, the Pharisees and the religious lot. He has a heart for everyone. He, he's a, a powerful God. He's a truthful God. He's an incredibly wise Father. On and on. Read the Gospels of Jesus uh, as they're portraying Him and then go, that's how the Father is. That's how the Father is. That's how the Father is. Uh, let's go uh, 14, same chapter, uh, verse 7. Is that right? Let me look at this for a second. Yeah. No, we just did that one. Slow down here. Last one, number five, John 5. This was probably one of John Wimber's favorite, at least I heard him quote it so many times. John uh, chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, he's speaking to the religious lot. He says, Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. So Jesus is saying, everything I've said and everything I do, I have first received and seen and witnessed in my spirit the father doing. That's the setup for you and I as sons of the living God, as sons of the father, you know, Jesus, at the point after resurrection, the first address he gave to Mary Magdalene, who he revealed himself to her first, which is the redemption of woman, by the way. Look at where it happens. It's in the garden. Where did we fall? In the garden. Who is the first to fall? Woman. Who is the first to be redeemed? Woman. Where? In the garden. By the only one who could say, it is over, it is finished woman is fully redeemed there but she becomes the first proclaimer of the truth and Jesus says to her in John I think it's 19 uh, chapter 19 or, or 20 I can't remember which we'll go there later uh, in another session but uh, he says to her go to my brothers 
gentlemen, listen to that for a minute. Go to my brothers. They went from followers to disciples to servants. Last Supper's no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. Now in the resurrection, Jesus doesn't stand up and go, hey, see guys, I'm alive, I made it. Just like I told you. His first words are, go and tell my brothers. What happened on that cross is you and I became the brothers of Jesus Christ. That I am going to my Father, your Father. My God, your God. We have risen to a level that we could never accomplish on our own, but was accomplished by Jesus. Proven in the resurrection. That we are the brothers of Christ. And that we are the sons of the Father. The second half of that verse is because the Father loves the Son, He shows Him all that He's doing. I love that part. You know, I, I pastored for 22 years. I, I was brought into pastoring back in the days when kind of the concept within our movement, the vineyard movement, was, well, this guy looks pretty good. Let's throw him out in the lake and see if he can swim. And, and if he does, that's good. And if he doesn't, sh- well, God bless him. Um, and it's so much better now. It, it really is. We have, you know, VI and and. Heroic Leadership Institute and on and on. There's training. There's, you have to go through processes now. And, and there's wisdom in that. But um, I came to become the pastor of the Salada Vineyard Church knowing Christ for three and a half years. Uh, my best argument uh, to his calling, and I heard it over and over, and I was like, no, God, you're nuts. Number one, I really like being a potter. Number two, I've only read half your book. And all these 22 people that are in this church right now they know a whole lot more about you, Jesus, than I do. And uh, uh, God didn't buy it. So I went to the search committee, which I was a part of, resigned. And I said, you guys, I'm resigning and I'm applying for the position. And they laughed. I thought, Phew. they're going to pat me on the back and say, Dave, we love you, but it's not you. And they laughed and then they said, hey, we knew it was you all along. We are just waiting for God to get a hold of you. I said, no, this is crazy. Call Rick Olmstead. He's smart. He was the regional director, and they called Rick, and Rick said, sounds like a good idea to me. And so from 1989 to 2011, we had the privilege of pastoring there. But you know, being thrown into it that quickly, I read the Bible so that I knew what to preach about. I read the Bible so I knew how to counsel. Uh, Once I stepped away, and by the way, you do not retire from ministry, you repurpose. Uh, We'll talk about that some more, and Danny will talk about that. You're getting older, bro, you know? Um, So we repurpose into whatever God has next. So in the repurposing process, I got to read the Bible for the very first time for Dave Blakesley. And in it, I've discovered some just incredible gems. It's been a wonderful, wonderful thing. But mostly I've discovered that God really loves me. He likes me, and he loves me. And I'm going deeper and deeper in receiving that love. So gentlemen, if 
If you want to see what the Father is doing, you have to accept the reality that this Father that we worship loves you. He loves you when you're a sinner. He loves you when you're asleep and you wake up. He's eagerly waiting for you to wake up. He is love, which is what John stated, which means he does not have a bad day. He never has a day where he goes, oh, I can't believe they're doing this again, especially this guy, you know. He is love. Now, within that, he does correct us because to love someone requires correction at times. But he loves us in such a way that he wants to bring us into fulfillment and truth. So right now I am opening up this hunk of clay uh, and I'm going to throw what is to me one of the most open vessels that I can think of. And, and I just want to encourage you as I'm doing this to consider your current relationship with the Father. Consider how the Father generously gave us the Holy Spirit who communicates with us Jesus said, the Father, I will ask, and the Father will give you, send you, the gift of the Holy Spirit, another counselor. I'm not quoting that perfectly, but he said, another counselor. And that word counselor in the Greek, parakaleo, uh, literally means one who comes alongside of us, para, kaleo, and calls out to us, communicates with us, speaks to us. Uh, rarely audibly, usually it's a thought, a dream, a vision, a section of scripture that jumps out at us, uh, a repeated thought that is un just relentlessly reappearing. And my encouragement to you is to continue to grow to be more and more yes, Lord, people. Next to the name of Jesus Christ, I believe yes, Lord, is one of the most powerful things we can ever say. And I have found that God will permit discussion, as Moses did, even a bit of argument, but ultimately he wants us to say, yes, Lord. And some of the yes, Lords are very hard. Some of them seem very trivial. You'll walk into the grocery store, and typically, you know, I don't know what each of your preferences are, but... I've become increasingly organic and, you know, I'm an old hippie and I grew up in a natural way and uh, I live in Colorado, which is way nature prone. And so I typically lean to the, over towards the right and go to vegetables and fruit first, then onto the meat. Um, but, you know, say instead of that, I walk into the grocery store one day and all of a sudden in my mind, I hear grape jelly. <laughs> grape jelly is weird. Okay. And I start heading to the produce, and I think, grape jelly again. So I go over to the aisle, and it's got grape jelly. I walk down the aisle, and I see a guy there that I know, and I say, hey, Joe, how you doing? He's like, oh, man, I, I, I'm not good. I just lost my job over at the gas station. You know, I live in a small town, so, you know, going into Safeway for me to get a head of lettuce is 45 minutes. But uh, anyway, so I go, well, you know, then this is what we need to do in the vineyard is not just simply say, well, I'll be praying for you, Joe. We say, can I pray for you right now? And, and so we kind of duck over a little bit towards the grape jelly and, 
and and I just quietly pray with him and pray for God's encouragement in his life and open doors and wisdom and provision. And afterwards, Joe just goes, thanks so much, man. I feel better. And, you know, hopefully in the line at the cashier, he runs into another employer. Who knows? It's stuff like that. And you know what? By the end of the day, that's the thing I will remember for that day. Of all the stuff I accomplished that day, that little gesture of God will be the thing that was most important to me. So be open. Even as this bowl is opening up more and more and more, be open to the things that God has for you. Open to receive. You know, a bowl is open upward. It's a shape that uh, just is receiving, in a sense, from above. We need to be receiving from above. And we were just talking about this at, the, at pizza tonight, uh, how uh, the need for us to speak more and more about the ministry and the gifting of the Holy Spirit and, you know, it, it, so much talk about being born again, which is, is literal and true and, and vital that we would believe in Jesus Christ, who is who he is, as the Son of God, uh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, was resurrected and alive, um, conquered death. And as we believe in him, uh, we are set free of the curse of death. And we will live eternally. But that's not the whole born again. Really, one of the things Jesus was saying was also flesh gives birth to flesh and the spirit gives birth to spirit. If we're to be born from above, what is going to come from above? The spirit of God is going to come from above. So I may be stretching this out a little bit tonight, but I just want to say I think to be open to above, to be born from above, means daily more and more seeking the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and, and letting him guide us, letting him reveal things in Scripture, teaching us how to love people better, um, how to overcome sin patterns in our lives, on and on. So now we have a very nicely open bowl. It's flaring out even more. Uh, it, you know, this is a slightly dangerous shape. It could collapse. The more open to God we are, the more radical the lifestyle becomes, uh, the more he may ask things of us where we go, oh, I, you know, at age 59, when, when the Lord made it very clear to me through a number of means that it was time to move on from a very comfortable role in the ministry. You know, I the church had grown from 20 to over 200 and sometimes even up to 250 people, in a town of 5,000. I mean, it's a mega church because the town of 5,000 is the biggest town in 50 miles. Um, so God had just done huge things. I had a salary by then, miracle of miracles. And at a 59, it's really nice to have a salary. I even had health insurance. I even had money that was beginning to be set aside for Retirement. It only had been going on for three years, but I had that going. There were a lot of people that actually liked me. Things were cruising pretty good. And then the Lord said, I have a new ministry for you. Oh. But I have learned 
through time that if I say yes, Lord, great things beyond my wildest imagination can happen. And they are. So be open to the Lord. However he nudges you, We'll talk more later about discernment in another session. But the Father wants to lead us for the course and the race that is marked out for us. So here we have a perfectly open vessel, which is, is a model of what I want us to consider being towards God, towards the Father. But I also understand that there are some of us, whoops, We'll heal that over in just a few minutes. There are some of us in this room that the invitation to be open to the Father, well, maybe, there we go, is scary. In fact, at this present moment, at this present moment, you have become much more like this clay. You have closed off. There's actually a hollow inside of here. This was the beginning of a pot at one time. And for, generally speaking, two different reasons, you have closed off yourself to the Father. I want to address that tonight, and we'll close with that. Um, one of the ways that we can close off to the Father is that we've all had fathers, earthly fathers. And anybody had a perfect father? Yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm in the right group. Um, and I'm sure many of us uh, had good fathers, but there's all ranges of fathers represented by us as sons here today, tonight. Um, and subconsciously, how we knew our earthly fathers, we often lay the same attribute, whether we're conscious of it or not, onto God as our father. And it's a deep issue, bro my brothers. This, is, this one is something that God has to work with in us. But I want to address it a little bit tonight. Because it will, it's, it's wounding, like the wounding that's in this pot right now. This is a vessel, but it's, it's marred and dented and wounded. And it needs, we need to remove some of this stuff. So we're going to do that right now. But, you know, some of you grew up without a dad. Some of you grew up with dads that were largely absent. They may have been absent because they were uh, in the military all the time. They may have been absent because they worked all the time. They may have been absent because they didn't like your mom. They, whatever the reasons were, they were absent. That's painful. Uh, some of you had, had fathers that uh, were focused on everything else but, but you. Uh, some of you had fathers that were mean or were abusive or were silent, never talked to you. Many of us, those of us who are 50 and older, had fathers who grew up during the Depression, grew up through the wrestling of World War II, and, and generally speaking, those are dads that were not hugely expressive. Uh, my dad said, I love you twice in his life to me. 
and both of those were in the last year of his life. My dad is now with the Lord, and uh, he was in Salida where we live, and we got to be his major overseer caregivers, my wife and I. Um, then, let's see, there's other things. You, you could have dads who are addicted or who are fearful or who are anxious or passive or angry or judgmental or we could go on and on. We have no perfect father. So whatever aspect that is not of the father God characteristic demonstrated in Jesus, in other words, who's not like Jesus, we need to identify those things and go, huh. So if my dad was always away, do I have a problem believing that God is close? Very possibly. So I'd, I would encourage you this evening, later on you go home or tomorrow morning when you wake up, just to think back a little bit and go, what areas was my dad not like Jesus? Because see, Jesus is the earthly representation of the Father. So take that one. Um, you know, I had a really a good dad in many ways, uh, very different than me. Um, but one of the things that my dad drilled into me, which in some ways is a good quality, he says, you know, you get what you work for. Basically, you earn what you're going to get. Which means, on one hand, as a potter, you're not supposed to, there's three things I've done in my life you're not supposed to make a living at. I'm an artist, number one, you're not supposed to make a living at that. I worked hard. I lived in an industrial park for the first three years of my work. Uh, ate minimal, awful food, because it was cheap. Uh, scrounged the dumps for wood for my wood stove, you know, on and on, just to make it happen as an artist, and succeeded in that. Uh, then I was a small town pastor. You're not supposed to do that, so, but God got me through that, worked hard. So I have this work hard ethic, which sometimes causes me to uh, dismiss family. Uh, I've had to get forgiveness in that area. Um, and then three Christmases ago, we were really short on money. We were having our annual Christmas sale at our house. It's usually a big money time. And, and my wise wife said, well, do you ever ask God for money? No. Yeah, you've got to work for this stuff. She says, oh, you just need to ask him for money. And I'm like, I'll never forget this Friday morning. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm like, she's right, doggone it. Okay. I mean, I'm a pastor. I know how to pray. This is one of the hardest words coming out of my mouth. I just simply said, God, I need money. And you know, that Friday evening, the doors blew open. Customers rolled in and bought pottery like crazy. I'm like, hot dog. I'm on to something here. So the next morning, I wake up and I go into the logical, rational mindset and go, Saturday, hey, Saturday's always a big sale day. I don't bother asking for money. It was really eh, mediocre, limp, wimpy. So the next morning, I go to church Sunday because I'll have the sale in the afternoon. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Uh, now I really need money. Boy, I tell you, I, and it wasn't just the church crowd. The doors blew open again, and I sold more that Sunday afternoon than any other day of any sale I've ever had at my house. And I go, thank you, God. 
Now, I'm not sure that God was so interested in me getting a bunch of money as he was interested in me learning that I don't have to do and believe everything that my dad told me to believe. So I've removed that. There are things that you will need to remove. And as Danny will, Pastor Danny will share, I believe, in his Gospel of Wholeness Conference, you need to take whatever is wrong that was with your dad that does not represent the Father. And you need to make a holy exchange of those sins and that brokenness and put it on the altar with God and receive from the Father the real fathering that you and I need. I've just gone through an experience where uh, and my dad, uh, I got to minister with my dad in the last year of his life and oversee his caregiving. You know, this is, this is an old guy that, uh, he was an engineer, he was so practical, uh, man of few words. I mean, we, Personality-wise, we were so different. But I will say this about my dad, he was always there when I was a sick little kid. He was there when uh, nobody else would be there with me. And we did stuff together as I got older. And so I, I had the privilege of being with him during that last year. Pretty much didn't travel, and it was a really rich, beautiful year. My dad was very shy with words of positive affirmation. Um, and I'm a guy that's really hungry for verbal encouragement from significant people. Somewhat of a people pleaser in that regard, which is not a good thing. And so uh, this DVD that is out front there, um, the Lord allowed uh, a huge ministry, RBC Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They produce our daily bread for the last 70 years, a uh, radio program for a long time, and now they have a TV program called Day of Discovery, uh, which shows once a week on mainly Christian stations. They came out and filmed me in my studio and God has put such favor on that DVD, it won an, a Tele Award, which is a secular videography award. It's kind of akin to uh, Grammys or Oscars are for other medias. Uh, it has currently sold more than any DVD in the history of their ministry. It has gone all over the world. We get letters from missionaries in foreign countries, I mean, just God has used it to extend ministry far beyond I could ever do. And so, coming back to the story, one of my caregiver or the caregivers that we had hired, a strong believer, spirit-filled woman, she uh, she had bought a copy of it somewhere, and she brought it over. And my dad was not a TV guy, but she convinced him to get up one evening and watch it with her. The next morning, I come in to visit with him, and he looks up at me, and he says, Dave, you must be the best potter in the world. Now, I, I, I've never heard my dad say anything like that ever in my life. Uh, so even at age 93, people can change. You know, the second arena in which we can become broken 
And as you're noticing, I'm opening up this pot, and as I got ahead of myself here, but the second arena that we can get broken is we get disappointed by God or by things in life, and we attribute it to God. Uh, we get disillusioned, we, we get upset, we get angry, whatever it is. You know, and frankly, it's a good thing to begin to learn to understand that, you know, God doesn't make all these things happen. You know, if a drunk driver hits someone, it was the drunk driver's fault, not God. You know, we attribute too many things, so that's a whole other sermon. But um, we, the bottom line is if something hits us hard, we let it enter in, and we start to mistrust God. That was the beginning of the fall in the garden. Basically, they mistrusted God. They believed a lie. And, and whatever that may be may, will cause you to begin to close up your openness to God. Maybe in one arena or another or just the whole thing. You just begin to close down. Maybe you'll still continue to go to church. You'll still claim that you're a believer, etc., etc. But you're closing in the opening and you're not able to receive a lot from above as a result in my own life uh, my wife and I we have uh, our daughter Amy and after Amy was born a couple years later Lisa got pregnant again the Lord said your son is a worshiper um, but unfortunately as we were delivering pottery to Fort Collins in her fourth month she went into labor we rushed to the hospital and they said we're terribly sorry to tell you this but you're already fully dilated and your child is too young to survive, probably will die either in the process of the delivery or will die shortly after. We were devastated. I went out to the parking lot. I moved our car from the emergency room to the other, or emergency parking to the other parking. And, and on my way back, something rose up in me. And gentlemen, when those things rise up in you that do battle, do battle. And I said, Satan, no matter what happens, this does not change my relationship with my father. It was like driving a staff in the ground and saying no. And Jonathan was born alive. We got to hold him, pray over him, and, uh, and he passed away in our hands. And we mourned and we grieved, but the Lord ministered through us in that. And we kind of walked through that one. But then there was miscarriage number one, and then miscarriage number two, and then miscarriage number three, and then miscarriage number four, and then no more pregnancies. By the fourth miscarriage, gentlemen, I'm a vineyard pastor. I believe in the ministry of healing. I have seen miracles. I've ministered deliverance over and over and over. I've seen Satan driven out. But I closed up. I closed up because from my perspective, I had called out, I had fasted, I had prayed in some of these times, the first time that Lisa would begin to bleed. I had prayed, no, I, I want another, we want another kid. It didn't, didn't happen. And so I continued to pastor you know, and, and, and I'd get couples that come up and they'd want prayer for their pregnancy. And I'd be like, no, you don't. I mean, I wouldn't say it, but inside I'm going, I'm a leper. You do not want to come near me. You don't want me to pray for, I don't want to pray for you. I withdrew. I closed up to God and to others in that process. And one day I was, I, you think I'm always in the grocery store. One day I'm in the grocery store Safeway, I'm walking down the aisle, got my cart halfway filled up, 
and, and I see this young mom in a Metallica t-shirt, and nothing against that, but it's just kind of where she was at. She's got four kids, all under about seven years old. And she's screaming at them and cussing them out and swatting one of them. And I just, I, I, I had to leave my cart. I just looked at it and said, this is not fair, God. And I walked out of that, that building. I was so angry at God. I get in my car. And, and I, I'm driving away. And the Lord says, Psalm 73. And I'm going to close with this. Because I want to show you the faithfulness of God. I don't know numbers. You know, I just never have been able, just a few verses I know the number of. But I didn't know what he meant by that. So I go home and I run in my studio and I grab a Bible and I go to this psalm and I start to read it. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Until I entered the sanctuary, this is key, until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood there final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors, as a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, O Lord. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And, on, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever so tonight if you are one of the ones who have closed off you're actually here tonight which is an, a miracle but there's a part of you that's closed off an aspect of faith an aspect of believing a certain characteristic of the father or of the kingdom of God for you through Christ 
May I invite you to begin to seek out God to heal you. To take the portions that are the deepest disappointments, the deepest hurts, the deepest angers, and take them to him. You will not shock him, and he will not run from you. He will only draw you closer to himself until you hear literally his heart beat for you. It's a journey. It took me four or five years to process through this. But I've come out the other side with greater faith and greater love for my God. And he's fulfilled promises of, I will give you sons and daughters across the lands. And he has. I've got, there's so many young people right now that I get to love on and minister and, and be a dad to. I've got grandkids. I have a son that worships him in heaven. I've seen a vision of him. I have other kids. I don't know if they're male or female. I don't know their names, but someday I will walk with them. I will dance with them. But in this time, I live here on earth with the faith that my father loves me. He is for me. And I'm for him. May you have the same. So, Lord, we close out this session now. We trust in the reality that you will go with us this evening. Lord, I pray that you may even awaken some in the middle of the night tonight, that you may address them clearly succinctly and cleanly to the things that most wound their hearts or dampen their dreams that they may rise in the morning fresh that we may gather again tomorrow that we may be open to your nudges all day long and see your kingdom come wherever we are and tomorrow night, gather again. And learn so much more, Father, how you raise us up. How you grow us as your sons. We bless you tonight, Father, and give you thanks. In your son's precious name we pray. And we all said, amen. God bless you guys. If any of you want prayer afterwards, you're more than welcome to stay on. And those of you who would like to pray. In fact, if any of you want to come up forward now, uh, as the practice in this church is, and you like prayer, come on up, and others of us will pray for you. Okay? Other than that, we'll see you tomorrow.